be six months to a year even. I think it's quite subjective and different for every person who goes through that process. Sometimes it's also important to look at how you're reacting, how you're behaving. Mm. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Angelina Ravina, welcome to the show. Hi, hey, Max. Nice to be here. Yeah, excited. Yeah, I haven't had a, a three-person podcast in a while, but like you're both <laughs> in the same room, so it's still like a one-on-one type of thing. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We often get that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you two live near each other, or like you have to make a day out of it? We're not far from each other. It's about a twenty-minute drive, which for London, UK, is very short. So, mm-hmm. it's not too bad for us to get to each other. Oh, great. And you drive on the right side, right? Not the left. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) On the right side, yes. Yeah, yeah. We're on the right side, yes. (laughs) Have you ever traveled to Canada, US? Actually, I lived in Canada for 18 months back in the early 90s to work. So, and I visited Toronto a lot because I have family there. So, yeah, it was a wonderful time of my life. Nice. And like, did you drive during those 18 months or did you? I did. I did. Yeah, I did drive. It it actually is so, yeah, it was so much easier to drive there than in London. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, because of traffic or because it's different side of the driver? No, no, the traffic, yes. And also the size of the roads. Oh, the UK roads are smaller? Yeah, and you have cars parked everywhere. And, you know, so, yeah, no, the driving was a lot easier to do in Canada. At least in then. I don't know whether now cars have increased and everything is more congested. It might yeah, be no, different now. Yeah, Toronto's like, during, during rush hour, it's a completely gridlock. I think yeah. Highway 401, it's always like busy. Like, it takes forever. Yeah. Like, the joke is it takes three hours to go from Toronto to Toronto. That's the uh, right now. Yeah. Again, I appreciate yeah. you both coming on my podcast and you help women, like mid-professional women, 35 to 55, go from a career or job they're not happy with to something that's more fulfilling. So we'll yeah. definitely talk about that as the main discussion points of our conversation today. But before we start, why don't you tell us more about yourselves and how you started this coaching practice and what do you do in terms of like helping people, helping women go from unhappy roles to a role that they're yeah. actually interested in doing? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'll start. Is I worked in the what we call the NHS, the National Health Service in the UK, for around 27 years as a therapeutic radiographer. Those are the people who treat cancer, and I was a practice educator within that role for many years. So I did a lot of career development and career change and all of that. And during the end of my career, they really felt there was no progression for me, and. I had to make a decision as to what I do next. And in the end, as whether you call it luck or otherwise, my role was changed completely. So I couldn't do that anymore. And I ended up making the decision to leave and set up this career business as I'd already had so much practice within that in the NHS. And other than that, I have three children of which I have two boys and a girl and my daughter has learning difficulties. So in her career as well, there's been a lot of insights into how the 
world of employment works for those that are vulnerable as well. So I've got a lot of insights around that as well. So in all of those two, and particularly women who reach a certain point in their lives where you know, they might be a certain age or kids have grown up or they've been in one career for a long time. All of those were part of me. So it was made sense to focus on those things as well in terms of how Anjali and I met. So 13 years ago, I had set up a disability group in my community and then Anjali joined the group and we've been friends since then. She became my almost second in command in this disability group and which is still running today. And then she also taught me how to play badminton. She's a coach in badminton too. So, and we started becoming, playing that more regularly. And then we decided let's pool our resources. But I'll I'll let you tell, let Anjali tell her story of how she got there with the career coaching. (laughs) It's all her fault. (laughs) So my background is completely different. I come from a corporate background as a finance professional. And I did that for 17 years. And my story is pretty much about getting too comfortable in what I was doing. So I started to lose my own confidence in myself. I started to lose track of my career ambition from when I first started out to where I was at a certain point. And it almost felt like I'd lost my passion for what I was doing. And in that time, Urvina was already a coach. So she coached me to give me that direction and to give me a sense of purpose so I could continue. And then I went for promotion in my workplace and I got it. Things started to change for me and I was able to move out of my comfort zone and regain my confidence, start becoming an expert in certain areas in my work. And eventually post COVID, I kind of hit that point where I went, I want to do something different. I want to do something more. And that's when Urvina and I decided that we would come together and make a a go of actually coaching others outside of our natural environment. I was an executive coach at work, so I was coaching directors and other senior members at work, but it's just one area. It's confined to just that one organization, and we felt that we could make a bigger impact if we could take it outside of our respective organizations and reach out to more women who particularly were facing the same issues that we were. Got it. So you were actually unhappy with your current work environment and you wanted to do something else, which in turn, you and Irvina started your own coaching practice. You had mentioned offline that you were able to help women through your own career transformation system. So how did that develop and how long did it take you to develop? And how did you know that this was the right system that made career pivots possible? Yeah. So when we started out, we didn't have the system, obviously. But as we were walking through a lot of clients, there were some recurring problems that we were coming across in our client base, being a loss of identity or that you know, they'd been doing that work for so long, they just didn't know what else they could do because they'd been working in either the same organization for like 20 years and then things were changing and they just didn't feel they belonged or they'd been working in the same career for such a long time, they didn't know where they could put their skill set to use. And so very quickly, as we were working through with our clients, we realized that if that's the problem where they're actually stuck and they don't know what to do, 
it was almost case study by case study. And we kind of went, okay, so this is the outcome. This is how they're feeling. These are the steps we've gone through every single time to get them the results and the outcomes. And so it then just made sense to formulate that into a structured approach that we could then use for, you know, the other clients that were coming through. And so it gradually developed into the system, but mainly it's been trial, refinement. And we realized that we had actually used a lot of it on ourselves when we were going through the same phases that our clients are going through. And so we know that it worked on us and that those are the concepts and what we're taking our clients through is tried and tested on us, but it's also been built because we've been able to do the same for the initial clients who came to us so that the ones who are coming now are getting a more refined system than what we started out with. Got it. So can you tell us more about like how the system works and how it differentiates yourself compared to other coaches out there that do this type of transformational work where they take mm-hmm. an unhappy client into something that's more fulfilling? Yeah. So obviously the system that we've designed is based on our experience and also the client base. So in itself, that becomes unique because it's actually designed and defined by the real problems out there. So it's not theoretical. It's actually very practical. And so that's one distinction. The other distinction is that we've got very different work experiences. So If you're coming from one particular background, then that's your experience. That's what you can coach. That's how you can help your clients. But with both of us, I was in the private sector. Ravina was in the public sector. So, you know, with the two of us within this kind of system and how we operate, we can almost match to a lot of the clients in terms of giving them the support that they need or understanding the situation that they're in so that we can help them move out of those situations and into more productive or progressive areas. And and the other thing to add in that is because of our age differences as well, we can relate better to those who come to us with those specific age groups as well and the life experiences around that as well. And whilst also the whole system is structured, there's quite a lot of element of flexibility with the issues that people come with as long, but it totally covers within that system as well. So it works for those who are very structured and it also works for those who don't like as much structure and need to be, you know, going from one to the other, whatever fits for them. So, yeah. So it is very tailored, but the biggest thing that the system does is it gives the clients a clarity. Yeah. Because when they're stuck in their careers and they don't know what to do, there is so much overwhelm in the mind. And what we do is we break that down into the foundations of what is causing that unhappiness? Why are they stuck? What's led them to that point? And how not to repeat that so that they can actually make progress. And the system, the way we've designed it, every stage is giving them that clarity on what they want but it's also helping them boost their confidence so that when they have to make that next step, whatever they decide it's going to be, they have the confidence to do it. And that's baked into every element of the stages of the system. What are some common reasons people that you spoke to are unhappy with the current role? What were some of the things that made them not happy where they are and they reach out to you and seek your guidance? A few that come to mind predominantly are feeling undervalued 
at work, especially if they've been in a place for a while, because they've gotten so comfortable, they've gotten so used to, they can almost do the work with their eyes closed. And so they keep getting the same old and no new challenges, no new progression. And of course, those that have been in a while, you know, with new people coming up, I think certainly we see that with the millennials, they are gathering a lot of tools and move around much more quickly. So they find that these people are surpassing them as well. So it makes them even feel even worse. So yeah, being undervalued and feeling their self-esteem and self-confidence drops quite a bit. So those are the three main things that we see quite a lot of. And what are some of the roadblocks in terms of them having trouble making that move? I understand one of the fears is they don't think that they can do anything else or they believe that they have to completely start over from scratch, whether it's a lower role or lower pay. What are some additional fears that they have that prevents them from trying to make this career transition on their own? Yeah, I think the biggest fears that we have come across is the fear of failure because you've spent such a long time in somewhere where you have that security and then you're going into some unknown territory and there's almost this fear of falling down and this fear of failure. So that's one of the biggest fears. And I think the second biggest fear is this fear of lack of security. You're, you know, whether it's financial security or whether it's this ability that I know what I'm doing here. You know, if you've been working in an organization, people know you, you know the systems, you know the workplace inside out. So it's easy to navigate when you're moving to a new organization or a new type of work, you are having to start from scratch almost. And that in itself, that networking, getting to know the systems, getting people to listen to you, that is a big, big challenge. And for a lot of people, those are big steps, which actually stops them from even trying to see if they can transfer their skills because it's difficult to transition. Yeah, absolutely. So like, what do you do in terms of evaluating the current skills they have in order to give them guidance on what potential roles would be a good fit for them? Yeah, part of our system, we deal with that, where we go really in depth to work out what are their skill sets? What do they have right now? What do they want? All of that comes from the clarity of what they want to do. And once they know what they want to do, you know, they can build a list of the skills that they need to have to get to where they want to be and what skill sets they have right now. And it's amazing how we take some of our skills for granted. I don't know if you've come across that, Max, but you know, if you're very good at, for example, Excel, we see that people don't put that down as a strength or a skill because you take that for granted to go, but doesn't everyone know how to use this system or how to use this process? It's a given in the type of work that I do. And yet, you know, that might be one of the most important skills when you're looking at transferring, because in another area, that might not be the usual or the norm. And so it's interesting when we see that, but that's where our expertise comes in, because we can challenge them and we can highlight some of the more obvious things that they can use to transfer their skills, which I think a lot of us underestimate just how much skill set we've got from our work experience. The other thing that really is actually very valuable is them understanding what actually their values are and what they want from an organization or a company. Because often you find as well that people have that feel unhappy is because their values are not matching, you know, where they are now and, and what the company's value holds. So that misalignment causes a lot of unhappiness. 
Yeah, one of the things that I've seen is it's about congruency, right? So if mm -hmm. you're going to work and you're not happy with what you're doing, that's yeah. going to translate to your home life. I know they always say, yeah. like, don't bring work home. But if you're not <laughs> in a good mental state at work, then yeah. it is going to trickle into your personal life. And then, then your family experiences yeah. your unhappiness as well, right? Because it definitely spreads. Mm -hmm. And Anjali, in terms mm -hmm. of you working with Irvina and teaming up to start your own coaching practice, what made you decide to team up with Irvina to start this coaching practice instead of just going to another role at another company? Yeah. So actually, I was doing very well in my corporate job. So it wasn't that I was unhappy, but it just felt that no matter where I went, it would be the same. I wouldn't be doing anything different. And what really made me want to pursue the, the coaching, and especially with Urvina, was Urvina's got a lot of experience with mentoring and coaching students and staff development. So she's got that foundation and that experience. And what I got in terms of my skill set was more on the kind of back-end business head, so to speak. So with our different strengths, we are actually quite complementary in the business because I can bring my corporate acumen into this business and set up you know, processes and set up the technical aspects that whereas Urvina can focus on the program, she can focus on what we need to deliver, what is the content that we need to put out there. And so when we're working to our strengths, we're actually able to bring a more holistic approach to the business as well as to the client, which is great because A, our workload is divided. You know, if you're working as an individual coach, you're having to do all of that and focus on the client. Whereas in our case, it's a divided load. Mm -hmm. So we can spend more time focusing on our clients than on running a business, so to speak. Yeah. And don't forget, we'd worked together in the yeah. community for almost 13 years as well. Yeah, so we knew that we could work well together because we delivered big events and projects and we'd, we had established a way of working mm -hmm amongst our styles. We work very differently. Our styles are very different. Our logic is very different, but because we want the same outcome and we're on the same wavelength on what we want to get out of this, you know, we work really well together. And in terms of like work styles, what's some advice in regards to choosing the right partners to start a business? Like what are some things that people should look out for if they're looking for, whether it's them moving to another company, how they know it's the right manager to work for? Or in your case, yeah. from a business perspective, how do you find the right partner to work and build together? That's a tricky one. I, I think for us, because we'd worked together already, we kind of knew we worked well together. If we hadn't known each other, I think one of the things would be that the ability to be able to communicate honestly mm -hmm. and also look at all of what we, you bring to the table. Is it holistic? Does it cover everything? And also, you know, obviously in any business, there are hurdles, you know, and then how do we handle that? What's the best way? To, I think having those discussions up front mm. is really useful to have. And so almost like having ground rules, if you like, in that. You but know, it's if, important you have the same values and the same ethics. Yeah. Because if we didn't have the same ethical way of approaching the business, we would constantly be in conflict. And that's quite important when looking for like a business partner. If you're looking for a manager, Max, that's quite tricky and subjective because a lot of the times you may not have a choice in the type of manager you have. 
But if your prospective manager is part of the interview, then you can get the signs and flags early on, whether you're going to be able to work with this manager or not. And part of the interview process, I mean, that's where you can bring out your questions of what's important to you in the type of manager that you want and see what responses you get. That generally is if you're moving to a new team or moving to a new organization. But if you're moving within an organization and you don't have a choice in the manager, then it's important to be able to deal with it and almost change your perspective so that you can bring out the best in that relationship, no matter how difficult it may be. And sometimes you just have to accept it could be toxic and it's not the right place for you. And going through that toxic uh, scenario, Mm -hmm. how do you know if it's just, it takes time to like adapt and learn your manager style or how long should you work on it before you realize that, okay, this is just not going to work. We just don't get along. I try my best. I need to move on. So what's the evaluation period that a professional should give before they decide that this is not working and I need to find something else? Gosh, it's quite subjective for everyone, but I think listening to your instincts mm. is so important here. And often people dismiss that because they think that, oh, no, I'm being silly or, no, I've just started, so I really should give it another go or I should give it some time, etc. But if your instincts are what you value, what is your values? Instantly, if you are one to listen to your instincts, or in fact, people should, then you know that it's not the right place for you, in which case it may be that you have to leave pretty quickly. But on the other hand, you know, it may be that there are some elements that don't quite fit right for you. So it's about then, okay, well, this part is not working for me. How do I change that? What do I do? What do I need to change or do differently and see how that works? And talking to people and getting a sense of, is that environment right for you? So it could be six months to a year even. So I I think it's quite subjective and different for every person who goes through that process. Yeah, and I'm going to throw this in, but sometimes it's also important to look at how you're reacting, how you're behaving Mm. in certain conversations and situations, because it could be that how you're reacting is what the manager is then feeding off. That's not to say every time that's the case, but it's important to rule out that it's not just you. So if everyone in your team is facing the same problem, then it's definitely not you that needs to change. And there's definitely a problem with that environment. But certainly there are, you know, certain things you can tick off, certain steps where you go, I've done my bit. I have tried changing my approach. I have tried doing the work to, you know, the best of my ability. I've tried to have an open conversation. And then it's still not gone anywhere and you're not able to break through. At that point, you know, there's very little else you can do and it's time to protect yourself. In terms of like finding the right manager to work for in the job interview process or, again, partnering up for business, what are some key questions that you should ask the person so you can evaluate their answers and then evaluate whether this is the right opportunity for you or not? Well, some of it is around your own values. So if, for example, is that what is your support mechanism or learning process? Get a few in-depth answers about what that might be or mentoring process or buddying process. You know, what is it you do for well-being? You know, how do you manage team building? It just gives you a sense of, does this manager or their team focus on individuals or are they focusing on other areas of the business? And if that's whichever part is important to you, will fit right for you. So 
those are kind of some of the questions you could be asking at the interview process. I think the important ones to focus on are support and mm. whether you're going to have growth opportunities, development yeah. opportunities. Yeah. So yeah. the questions around that are, you know, what kind of opportunities do you think I can get? How quickly do you think I can get them? Will you support me through it? Or am I supposed to, you know, do it myself? How involved? Is it micromanaged? Is it not micromanaged? I mean, those are some of the things, depending on the kind of person you are and what level of interaction you want with the manager. For some people, a monthly review meeting is quite important, whereas others are like, well, how about we just do it once a year? So it's very individual, but it, you know, in the conversation itself, just the way they're asking you questions, how they're reciprocating with your responses, you'll also get a feel for, okay, what is that thought process? How are they reacting to some of the things I'm telling them? And if they're reacting in a very negative way, you just know that there may not be any leeway for errors. And is that the right kind of environment for you? Is that what you're used to? Is that where you're going to thrive? Your system works from both a clarity and confidence perspective. What are some underlying issues that people have that makes them lack confidence to want to do something else? Some of the underlying issues in terms of lacking confidence is part one of them that we see a lot of is that they have done the same thing for a long time. And with the pace of things moving so quickly, they are feeling like they've been left behind or they're not able to catch up. And so therefore, that feeling of losing confidence to try new things comes into play. So that's certainly one of the biggest things that we see with our clients because they've been in one place for a long time or because they've been in one place for a long time and all of a sudden their job has been made redundant because they no longer need those skills that these guys were doing for so long. And therefore, suddenly they're in a position of, I don't know if I can do anything else. They've lacked the confidence in their skills, in their technology, in their pace, in their just, you know, one thing leads to another. So it's a general and lack of self-esteem and lack of self-doubt creeps in as well, because they're just not sure they can progress to something new. Speaking of progressing to something new, you said you work with professionals up to the age of 55. And obviously, there has been a lot of layoffs. I'm not sure if it is like this in the UK. So like, what are some of the things that you do for older professionals who, let's say they've been working at a company for 20, 25 years, they're 50 plus, they just got let go. And they're looking at these job ads and they see all these new technology and the tools they never used in their previous mm -hmm. company. And then again, that leads to a lack of confidence because they believe that they're a dinosaur now because a lot of the skills that they're looking for now, they haven't been able to build and adapt and like build up those skills when they were working. And now they realize they're so far behind. So what do you do to help them like build that confidence to ensure that, yes, there are new technologies and tools, but you're still a valuable person in the marketplace? So I think part of the system, and this is what I mentioned earlier, was the aspect of clarity. So when we're in work and we are churning through day to day, we don't have the time to step back and go, is this what I want? You know, if I was to look back 20 years from now, is this what I had expected to be at this position? And for a lot of people, when they have that break, it's a good time to sit down and really map out, okay, what is my next 20 years? What do I want my next 20 years to look like? And then it comes back to what is my skill set? What can I do 
realistically with the experience and the skills that I have. And in a lot of instances, people will find interests or passions that, you know, they've put on the back burner because they were literally trying to financially keep a household going. And they find that they may want to now spend more time because they're financially okay and they want to spend more time pursuing those interests and passions, but as a hobby or as a business. And if someone's not in that position where financially they still need to continue for X number of years, it's a matter of looking at the skill set and going, where can you use this skill set and where can it make a difference? Because the experience that they've got from working 20, 30 years can't be underestimated. And some of them may be willing to even train up and find courses that are going to upskill them up to a certain level with the technology. And for those who don't want the technology, there's always another route that they can find within their area of expertise, because by then they are experts in something. But it's the system is designed to bring out that expertise to go, oh, my God, I can do this because I'm an expert in this area. And we forget about that because we're so into the day to day and we think it is so normal and so usual. You forget that actually you're an expert in something, but because you've been doing it every day, you almost kind of go, I'm on autopilot. I can do this. So hell, like that can't be an amazing skill or that can't be an amazing experience. That's essentially what it boils down to is looking at it with a fresh pair of eyes and going, this is amazing experience. What can we do with it? And one of the things you find with people, women in midlife, is they're in a very different position mm-hmm. to when they were 30 or 40, 35 or so. And they're much more focused on life as a whole. It's not just, you know, I need to make money or I need to make something of my career. They're in a very different position. So their mindset is different. The focus is different. So we kind of work with that as well, because that's where they now want something that is meaningful. You know, they've got X number of years left. So it's like, let's make it worthwhile. So it's actually quite joyous working with women in that position, because they are in that wonderful position of making different choices. So you work with, again, 35 to 55. Mm -hmm. From your experience, what are some of the different priorities between someone 35 to 55 or even 45? Like when they work with you, what are the different wants and needs? Like what do you find that are common in those different age brackets? Actually, it's quite interesting, Max. When you look at the age range, you'd immediately think that maybe someone in their 35s is looking at more financial stability, looking at promotion, looking at, you know, increasing their income. But Interestingly, the clients that we've had, whether they're 35 or 45 or even 50 or 52, all of them have had one thing in common is they've been working in their career for at least 15, 10 plus, 15 plus years. And they've realized that they've kind of reached a point where they don't know what next. And so at that point, the financial security is almost on a lower priority. And it's more about Where is my career going? And it's that midlife point almost, whether you're 35 or whether you're 50, is that midlife question of, do I see myself doing this, the same thing for the next 20, 30, 40 years? How can I jazz it up? I'm not excited anymore. I used to love this, but I'm no longer enjoying it. What's changed? 
And it's the life's journey, the life's experiences that has changed it because we're becoming wiser, we're seeing things from a different perspective. And it's helping them kind of figure out what the next new thing for them is, even if it's in the same profession, the same role, but it's giving them that spark again. And it's been interesting, at least from my perspective, and, and I don't see a difference. For some who are the younger, uh, let's say 40-ish, around those give or take years, partly there's a sense of, well, how am I role modeling for my children? Mm. You know, what are they seeing? Am I being the person who has the courage to do something different or who is able to take that next step? What are they seeing? So there's elements of those things up there. As Anjali said, the life experience that comes into play. Whereas at a person who's an older age, not so much that because, you know, their kids are a lot older. But it's more about themselves at this point. It's like, okay, I've got 20 years left. What do I want my legacy to be? Yeah, and speaking of legacy, what's some of the common legacies that professionals reach out to you that they want to leave? Do you know what? I'll tell you my story in that because I was 50 when we started the business. And the thing that drove me was the legacy I wanted to leave. I have three children, not so much for my boys who were typical, my girl, my daughter who had the learning difficulties. And I thought for everything I do has been driven by what is it? show her because life is 10 times as hard for her as for anyone else. So if she is seeing that role model and she's saying, okay, mom is able to start a business at 50, potentially she could come and work for me or whatever. But it was that legacy I wanted to leave for her to show her that, you know, you can actually do anything no matter how young or old you are. And of course, that also helped the boys. My boys also see that, but that wasn't in my mind at the time. It was mostly for her. So then there's a big change. I wouldn't think to some of my clients, that is part of it. Is that what do they want to see? What do they want to leave behind for people to see? At least that's been my perspective. Yeah. 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 I think some of the other common ones, Max, are life is short. And I think Mm. post-COVID, that has come across quite a lot because people have realized that anything can happen and work is not the end all and be all. So a lot of mindset shifts have happened around the type of work that people want to be doing. And, you know, in a lot of instances, the legacy is, you know, I don't want to have work coming home with me. I don't want to be working all hours of the day. I don't want to be available on the weekends. And so for those who have the opportunities who are not in the situation where they're needed in those kinds of professions, you know, they're taking that opportunity to go, I want to spend more time with my kids. I want to see them grow up. And sometimes that in itself is the legacy. It's a legacy for themselves because it's like, I never got to see my parents because they were working full time to give us, you know, everything we needed. Now it's my turn to do that. So instead of spending that time at work, they're choosing to do more family things, more holidays, more family time. So it's different for different people, but the shift is definitely around, I don't want to just be working for the sake of working. I want my work to make a difference. I to want, be meaningful. I want there to be an impact. Am I making an impact in what I'm doing? And I think a lot of people are now starting to think that way about whatever it is that they're doing. And that's causing this element of shift and change. And in terms of like life is short, for someone who's in their, let's say, early to mid-20s, they think that 
they'll live forever, right? But what are some of the learning lessons that you can provide to people who are listening in that age group so they don't make the same mistakes that older professionals have made already? That age group does so well from my son's and his friend's experience is that they have seen what their parents and grandparents have done and they know they want the balance. But they also are really good at doing different things to gather tools in their toolkit for their career and to look ahead and kind of plan a little bit more. And they also know that they can't, in distant climate and day and age, with the careers changing so rapidly, that they may not be in the same career five or 10 years from now. So they're very good at not, well, I would imagine going forward, not becoming so stagnant or stuck as some of us were. And careers are changing massively. So that's something they really do well. What I would say to them is that sometimes they do need to slow down <laughs> to learn to walk before they can run. Because some there is an element of, well, everyone around me is getting up so quickly, I need to do the same. So it's that a piece of reflection to see actually what am I doing here? What is my values and what are my skills and where do I want to get to and do I have enough of that to kind of be a bit more mindful of what that is. Yeah, I'd say ensure you have a plan. Yeah. You know, it sounds so boring and cliche and it doesn't have to be so specific and, you know, but have an idea of where you want to be because if you don't have that, then you're just literally going to meander and you're not in control of where you're moving to. Then you're going to be swayed by everyone else around you and you're going to be doing what other people are doing instead of what you want to do. And that's quite important, irrespective of what age group you know you are in at work. You have to be your own driver for your career, not doing what someone else is doing because it looks like they're successful at it. Yeah, like something that could be right for them may not be right for you, right? So again, exactly. it goes back to that clarity aspect of it. Is it, yes. yes, like you want that promotion, but is that really what you want? Maybe there's yeah. another avenue that you pursue that you might be more fulfilled than just moving up the corporate ladder. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the rapper conversation, what would be one takeaway that you can provide if someone right now is listening and they're in that age group of 35 to 55 that you help, they're struggling to make that career transition, they're not feeling unfulfilled. What is one thing that they should action based off this conversation? I think certainly be courageous to take that first step. And that might be just seeking somebody to help them out, to see, be more objective in that. Because when you're in it, it's too hard. So the first step perhaps is that and then make that first step. Just take that first step, whatever that might be for you, because that's the hardest step. Mm. But it's very doable. And once you make that first step, things you realize, oh, I could, I can do it. And it gives you that starts building that confidence in you. Also for anyone who's in that situation and both of us having been in that situation, make sure you surround yourself with Mm. the right support because it's very easy to get swayed by, if you're surrounding yourself with the wrong kind of pressure, peer pressure or family pressure, then your decision-making is going to be trying to please others instead of what's good for you. So surround yourself with the right kind of support, which then makes sure that you're making these decisions that are for you and are the best for you. Because at the end of the day, it's about you. 
Anjali, Arvina, really appreciate you coming on my podcast to discuss career clarity, focusing on 35 to 55 year old professional women. So how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? So there's two ways. So we run a free career clarity masterclass, which runs almost every two months, which we put up on our social media. It's completely free. It's 60 minutes. And we go through the steps that people need to take if they're stuck in their career and they don't know what to do. So that's one way to get a flavor of what we do, how we work. It's our um, system, really. Uh, and also take away some action and something that you can implement practically straight away. And the other way is we offer a free 30-minute clarity call. It's no obligation, but we work through what your career dilemma is. And, you know, if it's the right fit, then how we can work together. We're both on LinkedIn as well. It sounds good. Great. Again, I appreciate you both taking the time to discuss your like career coaching and your transformative system. And I hope my listeners are able to take away some few action items to help start their career transition journey into something that's more fulfilling for them. Thank you. Thank Max. you so much, Max. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.